Today, we're gonna be talking about three key mindset shifts for your real estate business that will double your revenue without doubling your workload in 2023. Stay tuned. This episode of Keeping It Real is brought to you by Real Geeks. How many homes are you going to sell this year? Do you have the right tools? Is your website turning soft leads into interested buyers? Are you spending money on leads that aren't converting? Well, Real Geeks is your solution. Find out why agents across the country choose Real Geeks as their technology partner. Real Geeks was created by an agent for agents. They pride themselves on delivering a sales and marketing solution so that you can easily generate more business. Their agent websites are fast and built for lead conversion with a smooth search experience for your visitors. Real Geeks also includes an easy-to-use agent CRM, so once a lead signs up on your website, you can track their interest and have great follow-up conversations. Real Geeks is loaded with a ton of marketing tools to nurture your leads and increase brand awareness. Visit realgeeks.com forward slash keeping it real pod and find out why realtors come to Real Geeks to generate more business. Again, visit realgeeks.com forward slash keeping it real pod. And now, on to our show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Keeping It Real, the largest podcast made by real estate agents and for real estate agents. My name is DJ Paris. I am your guide and host through the show. And in just a moment, we're going to be speaking with David Nagel all about mindset. But before we get to David, just a couple of quick reminders as always. Well, our first reminder is to remind us to thank you, the audience, for continuing to listen and support our show. The best way you can help us grow is by telling a friend. Just think of one other realtor that you know that is needing to a mindset shift, especially for today's episode, and then send them a link to this episode. You can find all of our episodes on our website, keepingitrealpod.com. And in fact, you can also follow us or find us on any place podcasts are served, although usually podcast um, apps only will pull up to the last 300 episodes, and we actually have uh, close to 430, I think, at this point. So if you want all the episodes we've ever done, and we really believe a lot of our content is timeless and really should be something that you can go back to and get really great wisdom and advice, the best way to do that is on our website. So if you're somebody that wants to go all the way back through our entire library, the website's the best place to do it. But we appreciate whether you listen to one episode or all 427, I think. Um, we appreciate you for, for being here today. And please tell a friend about our show. All right, enough uh, from me. Let's get to our main event, my conversation with David Nagel. Today on the show, our guest is David Nagel with Life Is Now. And let me tell you more about David. He's really, really an impressive guest. Uh, David Nagel is the founder of the multi-million dollar global consulting company, Life Is Now Incorporated. He is also the host of the Business Daily News ranked podcast, The Successful Mind. 
Uh, David's quest is to teach people how to think successfully so they can experience personal freedom. Now, being in the personal and professional development industry for more than 20 years, David has worked alongside other well-known mentors like Bob Proctor and Tony Robbins, and his clients include many well-known people, including New York Times number one best-selling author Jen Sincero. Now, David has helped tens of thousands of students from across the globe and is one of the architects of the personal growth industry. Uh, through David's mentoring and podcast, thousands of entrepreneurs, experts, and self-employed professionals have gained the confidence and found the right mindset needed to increase their revenue, turning their endeavors into seven and eight-figure ventures. Now, forever an avid student, David's core vision is to bring expanded awareness and higher consciousness to as many people as possible and to find greater ways of helping leaders make a bigger impact so that they can lead with their greatest possible, so I'm sorry, so that they can lead their greatest possible lives and serve the greatest number of people. And I want everyone to uh, visit David's website, not only to learn more about David and his consulting services, but to also check out his podcast, The Successful mind. So for all things, David, go to davidnagel.com. I'm going to spell that David, D-A-V-I-D. And his last name is N-E-A-G-L-E, N-E-A-G-L-E.com. So davidnagel.com. We will have a link to that in the show notes, as well as a direct link to his podcast, which we encourage you to subscribe to. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you. Um, I uh, I am always interested. I've I've always been fascinated by consultants because I just love that. Essentially, they're problem solvers, and this idea of you know real estate agents are so often their own CEO, they're their own customer service team. A lot of times, you know, so many of our listeners, it's just them, and they're running the entire company. They have to wear every single hat. And this idea of, you know, getting a coaching sort of experience um, or having some third party person come in and say, hey, you know, here's some tweaks that you may want to consider um, is very, very exciting. And most of our, our listeners just don't have that. So I'm excited to get some insight into you about maybe ways they could improve, you know, their mindset or, uh, you know, part part of their behavior to help actually get them more results, but without just working more hours. I know that's a, that's a huge one of, one of your right. tenants is there's ways to become more productive without just pushing and grinding it out more. But before we get to all that, I want to hear more about you, you and your story. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey in the business world and how you, how you ended up in consulting? Yeah, it's an interesting journey. It's, an, it's a very interesting journey. Uh, as we were talking about off air, I, I was uh, born and raised in Chicago. And uh, from about 13 on, my, my life was kind of taking a bit of a different twist because my parents got divorced and we were kind of just left alone, me and my brother, to really kind of bring ourselves up. There was not a lot of engagement or near as much as there should have been. So I was, I was making a lot of mistakes and I never liked school as a kid. I didn't like to, like to read. Now I have a library that's over 4,000 books and I've read them all. <laughs> so it's, it's a really, it's a really weird twist, you know, but at 17 years old, I quit high school. I went into the army, got out of the army, came home, got married, but I had no skills. Okay. Um, I guarded nuclear bases in the, in the, in the army in, in Germany. So there, I didn't really have anything that, that transferred over into a skill. I didn't, I, I finished, I got my GED in the army, but I had no other formal education. So I just went to work, got married. We had a couple of kids and I found out really quickly 
that I was creating more responsibility than I had the ability to actually stand up and handle. I didn't have the skill sets uh, to be able to, to provide financially for my family, but I didn't know what to do to change it. And the other thing was that I was around, the people that I, were, I was around, I would ask for help. Like, can you give me some advice as to what to do? And all they would say to me is you shouldn't have quit high school. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I kind of get that now. <laughs> I realize the error. Okay. But I can't go back and change that. So what, you know, what do I do now? But they really couldn't give me any advice. They would just say, work harder, work all the overtime that you can. In the late eighties, I had a brief stint working for Metropolitan Life Insurance Company selling insurance which was actually going well until the savings and loan crisis hit. Sure. And then my policies were dropped. Like people were dropping policies left and right, right? They just they just couldn't afford them. So my paycheck went down so low that I couldn't stay working there. And the only other thing I could do was drive a truck or drive a forklift. So I went to work for a warehouse uh, in Lyle, Illinois. Uh, sure. Kihi Foods. And, um, and at the time... Mr. Kehi was the largest food importer in the country. I mean, most of the things that we get and appreciate are because he brought those things in and really supplied, especially really heavily supplied them to the Midwest area of the country. So I was working there, but I wasn't doing well. Um, I hated what I did. I didn't like it. I didn't see any future for myself. I felt extremely stuck and things are progressively getting worse. So I wake up one morning and our car's repossessed, right? Mm. Um, and and we end up filing for bankruptcy. We have to leave our apartment in the middle of the night because we can no longer afford to live there. So we have to move to a really bad neighborhood way down south by Joliet. And I have to work, I have to drive in uh, to Lyle to go to work. So it's it, things are getting really bad. And I was I was more and more humiliated by the day where we were living, um, where my where we were bringing our kids up, the stories that I was hearing about what was happening there during the day while I was at work. Sure. And I have a I got to work one day and I got reprimanded twice before I even punched in. So I was already in a the worst possible mood. I was tired. I was exhausted. I was working six and a half days a week. And I was in this trailer, I was loading food into this trailer and I broke down and just started crying. And I was like, God, please show me something, anything, how to get out yeah. of this. I don't know how to turn this around. Because my thought was I have to go to college, but I need time and money to do that. And this is before the internet. I mean, there was no, you had to go to a physical building. You had to, you know, spend time to go get an education. And it was not a possibility at that time in my life. So I had this voice in my head said, change your attitude that night. Like it was very, it was, it was like very loud in my head. It said, change your attitude. And I started playing with that idea and really long story short, I changed three things in my attitude. And I said, I am really going to see if there's anything to this. Like, it, can this work? Because it wasn't that I hadn't heard that before. That's what teachers sure. used to tell my parents when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, like David's a pretty smart guy. If he would change his attitude about school, he would do well. But I hated school. I just couldn't stand it. I just hated being there. So I started acting like I loved what I did. I started treating people with respect because actually what it, it wasn't that I was a mean person. I was angry and didn't know what to do with that anger. Sure. So I was taking it out disrespectfully to other people. And I really wasn't doing the best job that I could because nobody ever showed me how to do that. So I was working to go home. I was raised in a, in a, in a union environment, so to speak, in, in Chicago. And it was only about doing what you're paid for. It wasn't sure. There was no attitude about 
really trying to work your way to the top, doing more than you're paid for, right? That kind of a of an ideal. I did not have that. So in I change this. I make this change. I'm like, I am going to do this for a year and see if it if anything changes in my life because I didn't know what else to do. In 30 days, I tripled my income. Wow. Yeah, well, I was right. How, how, did, how did that happen? A year, well, I'm, I went from 20000 a year to 62000 in 30 days. And it so spun my head around that I thought to myself, how can this possibly be? How can I, how can I make this change and have this happen in, in 30 days? And what, what became very interesting to, to observe was that the opportunity to do that had been around me for two years, but I didn't see it as an opportunity because I was looking through a lens of being angry and blaming and victimized everywhere that I went. And the, what happened was there was this guy that used to come to our dock at Kihi Foods twice a week, every Tuesday and every Thursday. And he drove a fuel truck out of Lamont Okay, for yeah. a, a company called Osco Fuel. Okay, they had a big red truck. You've probably seen them downtown. Yeah, right. Definitely. So uh, he would come. He would come uh, every Tuesday, every Thursday, and he filled our trucks with fuel. And he also filled the the trailers because they were refrigerated trailers, so they had to fill them with diesel fuel. Part of my job was to make sure that he filled the right ones, the ones that we loaded with food. Check his ticket off, and then you know let send him on his way. But the guy always reeked of diesel fuel, like he really stunk. He sure. he had to be outside working, uh, whether it was like 100 degrees in mosquitoes and humid as it gets in Chicago, or if it was 20 below out there, or if it was pouring rain, he was always out in the element. And we and I used to think to myself, well, at least I'm underneath this dock. You know, I got this dock over my head, like this is some big- This guy's got it real bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And I get to know this guy over two years. His name was Drew Batty. He used to live in Whiting, Indiana. Now he lives in Michigan. Um, but what, but after I make this change, he comes up to me one day and he says, how long are you going to stay here? Because he knew that I wanted to get out, that I was looking sure. for something else. And I'm like, Drew, I don't know. You know, I have I have absolutely no idea. Like I would so do something if I only knew what to do. And he said, why don't you come to work? with me, like come to work where I'm working. And I'm like, and I started ripping on the guy, right? I started making <laughs> fun of him. And I'm like, dude, you drive a bomb on wheels. You deliver fuel. Like, I don't want to do that. I said, I, I actually said this, said this to him. I'm like, has anybody ever died driving one yeah, of those it, trucks? That's a reasonable question. Yeah. I thought so. And he says to me, yes, last year. <laughs> A guy, a guy going down 65 and oh. driving down to Indiana flips it and he burns to death. And I'm like, see oh. what I mean? I don't want to come work for, I don't want to work with you. And I made this, I made the real insulting comment to him. I said, besides all of that, I said, how much could you possibly be making? Oh. He said, well, last year I made 50,000. Wow. And I went, what? I'm like, get out of here. You didn't make no 50,000 driving that thing. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, I, I don't know what I was comparing it to in my mind, but it was pure sure. ignorance on my part. Sure. And he says, I will bring you my check, my, my check stub next week when I come in. I'll show you if you don't believe me. I'm like, yeah, you do that, right? Next <laughs> yeah. week he comes and he shows me and he had made a little over 50000 And I'm like, you're kidding me. So all of a sudden, I'm now looking at this, like maybe this is an opportunity. Pay, pay attention here. 
I had a ton of questions. I had to get over all kinds of personal fear about what this was. Sure. Long story short, though, I went, I went there within a week. I got hired. I started working and my income tripled instantly. Amazing. And the thing was this, because this could have been a story where I went to work there. I, I acted like I got lucky. I worked really hard and either stayed a truck driver there for the rest of my life because there were guys that did that, that did their, spent their whole career driving those fuel trucks, or maybe I could have gotten into management. It was a small family-owned company, so that was kind of rare. Um, but I didn't look at it as luck. I didn't believe in luck. Uh, I thought to myself, I did something that caused this. I just don't know what it is. And what so I start, I pulled out a copy of Think and Grow Rich that I had when I worked for Metropolitan Life. And yeah. in the introduction, there's a, there's a thing called the sly disguises of opportunity. And Hill says that most people miss opportunity because they don't see it as opportunity. They see it as being unfortunate or misfortune or temporary defeat. They don't actually see the opportunity that's in front of them. And when I read that, I thought to myself, that's what this is. That's why I didn't see this for two years, because I was looking at it as something that it's not. I got so fascinated by that idea. I'm like, I got to learn more. So I started reading everything I could get my hands on. I started going to seminars. I went to like Tony Robbins in like 1993. You know, everybody's like, rah, rah. It was, I thought it was like, this is the coolest thing in the world. I didn't even know this world existed. Yeah. And I was on this path for about seven years. And I started working with people because everybody saw my life changing. It just kept getting better and better and better. I started out at this company driving a truck. When I left, I was in charge of expanding the company across the country. And I never went to school. I just kept learning on the job and applying myself the best that I could. And people would say to me, how, how, can, is, can I fix my business? Do you have any idea what I could do different? And I would give them advice and they would do it and they would start winning. And I'm like, this is a business. So I, so in, in, it's actually, it's actually this month, um, 1999, October of 1999 is when I started the business 24 years ago. And I started it, I walked away from what I was doing and I never looked back. And it it's been a journey of a lifetime. It's just been unbelievable. Well, you, you have, first of all, congratulations on 24 Thanks. years, uh, in, in the consulting business and, also, thank you for your service um, as well. I, I know that you said that earlier in the story, but uh, something that that you know I think is is important too for us that are not in military service to realize that sometimes um, you know soldiers or, or or people that you know are, are in the military, whether they're soldiers or not, are coming home. They're finishing up their their commitment, and maybe they don't. I mean, I, I'm sure there's more opportunities now for them to develop skills than than existed when you when you were there. But some people come back and they don't know what to do and they don't have those skill sets. So it's important to remember up. that. They're yeah, we, we and they're mess. Yeah, yeah. So you know, here I, I was interviewing a lieutenant colonel on my own podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he told me, he said, you know, we lost about 7,000 men and women in the Afghan war, he said, but we've lost over 30,000 due to suicide since they've come back. Unbelievable. And he was telling me just, you know, the, the PTSD, the mental illness yeah. is horrific and we're not doing anything to take care of them. So yeah. there's, there's a major issue out there. 
Well, and, and yes, and, and, and obviously there is. So if any of us know veterans and people that come back, like let's, let's put on our empathy and compassion hats and let's figure out how, what we can do to help serve them as they served us. Um, but, um, I also wanted to, to mention you, as you were talking about your own journey, I was thinking about, it's probably the name of a book. It certainly isn't a phrase I made up, although I'd love to say that I did. Um, but, um, it sounded like a lot of it was this gift of desperation, right? You had responsibilities, you know, if you were, had been a single guy and, and, you know, early on in life where you're sort of like, eh, I have a crappy job. I'm not, you know, I don't see a lot of room for improvement, but it's only me. I'm only soul dealing with my own self that, that maybe isn't for some people as painful as, oh, I have, you know, a family to support. I have, you know, um, yeah. trying to figure out, I have bills to pay. I have all these responsibilities and I'm stuck. And I, I think a lot of even our listeners who who get in, get their real estate license, probably a big chunk of the reason why is they want freedom. They want the freedom to work when they'd like to, they want the ability to be their own boss. Um, of course, nobody tells them like, that's a lot to do. And it's not the easiest thing to figure out on your own, which is why coaching exists and, and, and consultants. And, but it's, it's a really hard thing for an individual practitioner to, to figure out. But I love the fact that as you sort of you know, progress through your career, even though you were in what, you know, admittedly lower level or lower skilled jobs, you said your idea was, well, if, if I, if I change my attitude, let's just, let's just test this out and see, is there an empirical result? Is there, you know, is, is my life actually going to look differently? And it tripled your salary because you did identify an opportunity that at first glance was not an opportunity. It was like, oh, that would be a demotion. If I were to come work for you, I I, I might, I might, you know, have injury or, or die. Um, and also there's no way you make any money. You're, you're the guy filling our trucks. Right. And, and sure enough, um, no, there was because, you know, that person was, was kind enough to, to look past some of the jokey insults and go, actually, I do pretty well. And you should come work with me. And you were smart enough or or maybe desperate enough or whatever that part is to be able to go, oh, okay, this is a real thing and then take action. And I think you're right. It's like mindset really allows people, like you were saying in the Napoleon Hill book, you know, to some of, some of, some of these opportunities that, that come to us don't seem like opportunities and they they almost might even seem like problems. Uh, And, and this idea of keeping your mind open enough to see a different path um, is exactly what you did. And then when you went to work for this, this smaller company, which you said really didn't have a lot of obvious opportunity because it's a family run business. They're going to be promoting probably from within. Um, I don't know if I'm even going to progress, but you know, the one thing that, and I'm sorry to keep going on and on, but I just wanted you, you, you reminded me of something that I think is so important, which is, um, which I wish, you know, and my parents did a wonderful job raising me, but, um, but one thing I wish it would have been drilled into me a little bit more was that even, you know, I was like a dishwasher when I was a teenager and I had those super low, low skill level jobs. Um, and it's really hard work is, you know, working in a warehouse is crazy hard. I, I did construction. I did a lot of those, those kind of tasks and every boss at any of those companies, whether it's a small family firm or a large, they really are just looking for somebody to shine in whatever position it is. And like the boss goes, Oh, thank God, this, this person cares. And we're going to keep our eye on this person and opportunities do become available. Not every time, but, but in a lot of instances, or if the company you're at doesn't recognize how well you're doing, other people will. And 
and they'll might extend opportunities to you. So I, I love that story. Um, okay. So, so thank you for that. And I, I, I really was just really taken in by, by your journey and it's really, uh, obviously very inspiring. Um, so as you, I know you, you, uh, you know, work with, with a lot of different businesses and, and also with real estate agents. Um, I want to talk about mindset because you really talked about, you know, changing attitude, you know, whether we call it attitude mindset, um, love to hear sort of what your thoughts are on how somebody could actually start to, to, to identify maybe mindset challenges that they're experiencing and then what they can do about it. Well, let me tell you about a couple of interesting things that happened to me with real estate people along my journey. Very early on, one of the first that I can remember uh, real estate people that I that that hired me was a guy who was doing land deals, right? And he was pretty successful here in the states doing land deals. And then the Chinese started to come in, and they were buying up enormous plots of land. Uh, these were hundred million dollar deals. Wow. And where he was succeeding before, he was completely failing. So I don't remember how he got introduced to me. And I had never really done anything with real estate before. But I had a conversation with him and he hired me. And I said, well, tell me what's going on. He was like, I can't figure it out. Like, I'm succeeding over here. He says, but every every one of these huge deals that I try to close with the Chinese, it's like it's just going out the window. Well, when, here's something that's interesting. I had some experience working with some Chinese companies and they do business different. Uh, you know, they're, they're uh, number one, they're very meticulous about the bottom line and all the different um, uh, pieces of a contract that may not be important to us here, but they're very important. It's very important to them. So anyway, so he's telling me this story and I said, well, where are you losing the deal? And he's like, it's at the contract. We're losing the deal at the contract. We can't, we can't seem to agree. And I said, well, like how? Tell me what's going on. So I don't remember the exact stories, but what he was telling me, and I, when I, I started listening to the story he was telling me, and what became um, very relevant to me was that what was important to the Chinese was not important to him. And he could not see why these other things were important to them. And it was a cultural issue. So I started talking to him about the reasons why these things were important to them and that he needed to give great importance to these. And he immediately went out and closed a $100 million deal. And then he closed a $200 million deal after that. And, and the guy just, he, I mean, that was it. I mean, he was just, he was on a, a rocket ship from that point on. But I, he said something to me that was also the huge breakthrough for me. He's like, I cannot believe that this was right in front of me and I couldn't see it. And I'm literally yeah. losing tens of millions of dollars in commission because I can't see this problem. And I'm like, it's the craziest thing, isn't it? You know, it's like we see through this bias of our own and we try to make everything fit into that. So another, another story, short one, was that a woman contacted me who was working through some other company that I did work for. And she said, by any chance, do you work with real estate agents? And I said, well, I have on occasion, you know, a broker here, a broker there type of thing. She said, she said, my brother is in the top 1% of real estate agents with prudential realty in the company. And this was right around when the, the, the crisis happened in 08. 
yeah. and they're really having trouble, right? Sure. Would you would you talk to them? And I said, yeah, sure, I'll talk to them. <laughs> so I started talking to them, and by shifting what they were focusing on traditionally for them, not considering what had changed because of this crisis that we were in, they all became stuck. And I had them up and selling within like 10 days uh, from that. And, but it, but they were so stuck in their mind that nobody would sell because of the, the crash in the market. Like they, they had made up their mind that they couldn't do business. Sure. So after reframing it and getting them to reframe the idea of, okay, because here's something that I recognized very early on. We're, and actually, I learned this working with salespeople. Salespeople would come up with the idea that because of some situation or reason, people stop buying, right? right. Oh, people aren't buying because it's summer or it's a Christmas holiday or their kids are going back to school. And I'm like, that's all BS. Right. It's complete BS. There's two different value systems. You have people that have all the reasons not to buy because of search situations or circumstances in life, possibly even the amount of money that's coming in or out of their life. Those things, that value is higher on their, on their priority uh, than somebody else who has a different value set and what's more important to them, right? They, they buy with a different idea in their mind. If you change who your market is based on you're looking for a different value yes. set, instantly you will move from people that aren't buying to people that are buying. And they had never thought of that before. So when they would do that, they would go from not selling to selling instantly just by just by doing that. And of course, then you have the people that don't believe you at all. <laughs> and they're just going to dig their heels in that they're right and you're wrong. Sure. Yeah. No, this, this makes so much sense. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking back to the Napoleon Hill quote, and I forgot exactly how it was phrased, the sly, sly opportunities, this idea of opportunities sly that don't necessarily- Sly disguises of opportunity. Sly disguises of opportunity. I love that. It reminds me of another phrase called called the elusive obvious. It's like it's right there, but it's elusive. You you you. It's right in front of you, and and you're absolutely right. You know, and that's happening right now in in the in most realtors businesses today. Yeah. We we have rates you know have have doubled since uh, their lows of a few years ago, and even though rates are still relatively low, um, in comparison to two years ago. You know, realtors are are going. Oh my gosh, people people don't want to buy right now. And it's like, okay, maybe the people that wanted to buy two years ago with a three percent interest rate, yeah, now that maybe they don't want to take a loan out for six and a half percent right now, even though to me that's still pretty reasonable. But maybe to them it isn't. But there are lots of people who who will who will find opportunities to purchase or or to sell property now. Um, that that but it, you're right it it result it it requires a shift in mindset for the agent to say okay where are these people that are are interested in in taking advantage it's almost like buying a stock when it's undervalued that's right yes it's not it's it's harder to find people that you know will do that because it it goes against some just general sort of human behavior of oh it's 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 you know at a loss right now do i want to buy something at a loss yes you do if you think it's going to go up but it, the vast majority of people don't maybe operate or think that way. So you do have to change your mindset and then go, okay, well, where are these people hanging out? It reminds me of, of a quick story I heard from a really successful car dealer um, when this was back during the um, uh, the oil embargo in the in the 70s when there was oil, just massive oil, or, or sorry, gasoline shortages. And so, um, you know, people weren't buying big cars because they it was too difficult to get gas. And so these car salespeople were struggling and the really successful ones went, well, 
where do I, where can I go where people don't care that much about this, who right. can still buy luxury cars? Like, oh, what if I go hang out at a country club? What if I drive one of our, our fancy cars over there? Are those people still buying cars? Probably. Um, those are people least affected by something like that. So, so yes, you're right. There's always opportunity, but you're right. It's about understanding how do I, how do I shift? And it requires, you're right, a shift in belief and, and attitude. Um, yeah. How do you how do you suggest people start to t examine their beliefs and then and then change them? Well, that's that. So that's a great point right there because you you talked about people coming into being a real estate agent or a broker because they would give them freedom, yeah. but psychologically, what the average business person does that's going to start their own business is they sell at the level that they believe is easiest for them. Sure. Right. So they're so they may not go after the guy that's selling the ten million dollar house. They might go after somebody selling a hundred thirty thousand dollar house, because that's what they see themselves as. So part of it is to address that, right? How what lens are you actually seeing the business world through? Is it at your comfort level? Because just like you said, with the going to the country club, there are a ton of people out there that want to buy and sell right now because they have different reasons for buying and selling. They're not nickel and diming uh, their, their ideas of what they want to commit to. That 3% doesn't mean anything to them. They could care less right. what the percentage is. They just want to move or need to move for various different reasons. And they're probably looking at, at much bigger sales when they actually do that. So the first yes. thing that I say is if they're not seeing, if they're actually not seeing that, that opportunity, then... I, I challenge them to look at their own comfort zone for who they're actually selling to, right? Because now that that opportunity has shifted, the only way that they're going to be successful is if they grow out of that, if they grow out of that level themselves, then they have to actually start to see the opportunity at a different level. So how can they internally shift their value set to go after a different type of a client? Um, maybe even increase their own goals in, in their life, you know? really go after more. When that starts to click, generally you see the, the, the alternative of that go. Like they'll start looking at other people. I got a 21 year old kid that, that is a broker. Um, he is a friend of my daughter's and he's probably doing about 5 million a year right now. Amazing. And he just, he's, when he just goes after commercial real estate, like he learned, he watched, he goes in, he negotiates, he finds things. He looks for reasons people want to sell and he's just knocking it dead. And he's a, he's a young guy with no experience. I want to pause for a moment to talk about our episode sponsor, our one of my favorite companies out there, Follow Up Boss. Now, after interviewing hundreds of top realtors in the country for this podcast, do you know which CRM is used by more than any other by our guests? Of course, it is Follow Up Boss. And let's face it, following up is the key to taking your business to the next level. Follow Up Boss will help you drive more leads in less time and with less effort. Do not take my word for it. Robert Slack, who runs the number one team in the U.S., uses Follow-Up Boss, and he has built a $1.5 billion business in just six years. Follow-Up Boss integrates with over 250 systems, so you can keep your current tools and lead sources. Also, the best part, they have seven-day-a-week support, so you'll get the help that you need when you need it. And get this, Follow-Up Boss is so sure that you're going to love their CRM that for a limited time, they're offering Keeping It Real listeners a 30-day free trial, which is twice as much time as they give everyone else. And oh, 
oh yeah, no credit card required. So you can try it risk-free, but only if you use this special link. Visit followupboss.com forward slash real. That's followupboss.com forward slash real for your free 30-day trial. Follow up like a boss with Follow Up Boss. And now back to our episode. Yeah, it's it's re- it's really impressive. We we um we bring on a lot of agents who are in their twenties who are killing it, and because I always find like, boy, that just impresses me. Again, most most people I knew in, in my early to mid twenties weren't buying and selling homes, so it wasn't like, oh, I could just you know hit up my friends who are buying condos. No, they weren't buying condos; they yeah. were renting and and living with roommates and and all of that. But you're you're absolutely right. Um, I I think you know for anyone listening. I, I think there's this, if you get a little tinge in your stomach of discomfort, when you think about, well, I would like to sell, you know, maybe it's more luxury properties, or I want to make the switch to commercial if I'm residential, or I just want to do something a little different than what is in my comfort zone. You know, if I'm selling homes that are hundred and, you know, like you said, 140,000, and I really want to sell homes that are 300,000 and above, you know, it, it's, it, but it scares me like that, I think is, is an important thing to note is if you get a little bit scared, but you know, it's like the next part for you, yeah. it's probably the right path. Um, so I, there's a little bit about getting comfortable with discomfort, right? I think that's like, if you can tolerate that little pit in, this, in your stomach and realize that's a signal that I'm a little bit scared to the next level, but people get to the next level, people do it. And, um, and so what would you recommend if you're like, okay, I want to get to that next level, uh, you know, and I, and I, I'm not exactly sure, you know, but I, you know, I'm scared because I don't, maybe I don't have the skill set yet to do that. Um, or I don't know how to reach those people. Um, yeah. you know, what would you, what would you recommend? So the first thing that I recommend is I ask them what they really want. What are your goals? What do you really want? Because if you're really being honest with yourself, part of your inner direction of what you desire will begin to lead you into the outer possibility of whatever that is that you're looking for. But most people are not raised in an environment where it's okay for them to want what they want, right? So yeah, they're ra- right. you're, you're kind of raised with this idea, like you don't need that, only buy what you need, don't spend more than you need. Or you make- don't deserve it. That's you another don't deserve- thing. That's absolutely, absolutely. So they, so they get stuck in a financial frame in their mind that keeps them at a very low level. And then when they do business, they're, they're actually looking for people that are struggling just like them. So, so that's one of the first things that I do there. The other thing is, is I kind of reframe the idea of fear because most people will say to me, David, how do I get rid of this fear? Like, I just got all the, all this fear. And I'm like, you don't, you don't. And a matter of fact, you don't want to. Right. Fear is actually a good thing. It keeps us alive. If we removed all of your fear, you'd probably be dead in a couple of weeks because you wouldn't (laughs) be alert to things that could actually kill you. So the idea is what is fear doing for you? All it's doing is it's saying, Hey, Here's something you should pay attention to. It's not saying follow the fear. It's not saying listen to the fear. It's saying pay attention because there's something outside of the way that we're wired that is a possible threat. So pay attention. But then you're supposed to use your intellect to evaluate whether or not this is a fear. And if so, why? And if why, then what is it that you need to do? So that so it's about teaching a person how to think through the possibility of whatever fear is suggesting, because it's not an absolute, it's just a suggestion. And it should be a suggestion. It keeps us on our toes for what we're doing. It helps us make better decisions. The other thing is that if you make a decision and you made the wrong decision, that's not a bad thing. It's a great thing because it gives you real world data 
to reevaluate how you made the decision and then to go back and make a different one, right? Every entrepreneur fails their way to their success. That I want, I want to pause for a second because that is the most true thing I, I have experienced. I've, I had read that a lot, certainly when I was growing up and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. All you see, all I would see is the success. And of course you don't see the failures. It's almost like looking on Instagram. You don't, you don't see as much of the botched uh, meals that people make, or, you know, the pictures of their spouses that haven't been retouched in the, right. you know, it's like, we're not seeing videos of them yelling uh, at uh, having an argument with it, with their children on, you know, but, um, but this idea that learning actually comes from failure and failure, not failure is probably the wrong word, but, but when not, not getting the results you want, or if you, you know, step on your own success and you, you know, make a mistake that, that, you know, feels like it costs you. You're absolutely right. Um, the most successful entrepreneurs I know are the ones that fail the most. Yeah, absolutely. In our, in our company, um, we, we, my CEO has developed something called sunshining your mistakes, which is you're, we want you to make mistakes here, right? Because it's, if you're not making mistakes, we're not stretching enough. And if we're not stretching right. enough, we're not learning and growing. So it's constantly, it's fine to make mistakes, but it's weird because, well, it's not really weird anymore, but it is an interesting thing that when people come to work for, with us um, and they, you start to bring them into that culture, they're a little standoffish about it. And the reason is, is because people are taught mistakes are not okay. We right. start learning that message in grade school and it's like, no, you've got to get it right. You've got to get it perfect. You can't, you know, you'll never be able to hold down a job if you screw things up. And then you have people that are paralyzed. Um, in the decision-making process and nothing like you don't have any information until you make a decision. You have to make a decision. It doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong, just make the decision. And then we'll pick up the pieces as we go and make new ones. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, really well said. I have, I have nothing more to add to that because it is so important to what's like that old expression, feel the fear and do it anyway, right? Like, right. yes, the fear is there, pay attention. And then I identify as this, you know, someone chasing me with a knife, do I really need to run and and, and get out of harm's way? Maybe. And then, okay, Maybe. great. And if it's, if it's, oh, I'm just worried about failing. I'm worried about, you know, taking my career to the next level. Good. Now, you know what you're afraid of, and now you can work to, uh, to reframe that and, and learn whatever skills you need. Because again, fear is like you said, providing information to us. There's something that's stopping me from moving forward. Now right. I've identified what it is. Um, oh, it's this, this glitch I have. Cause my parents always told me I wouldn't be successful or whatever, whatever the, the back story is okay that's your story that's that's fine and yes thankfully there there are paths forward um one of the things i wanted to talk about because i think realtors uh, oftentimes you know as i said at the beginning they're wearing so many different hats they're basically every part of their company um and of course one person's skill set uh inherent skill set to their their you know makeup a genetic makeup um is probably not going to be sufficient to do every part of a business which is why you know uh why why there are employees at businesses that can do things that maybe uh, other people can't do so i want to talk about delegation like delegating work because so many realtors are just solo practitioners um and i'm curious about your thoughts about how to delegate and and how somebody should identify parts of their business that they should step away from and, and have someone else do for them? Great question. So we have a saying, when, when there's a problem that shows up or there's too much work that shows up, the question in your mind should be who, not how. 
who, not how, because you're not supposed to be doing all the work. The, uh, the idea of a self-made person is a ridiculous idea. There's no such thing. And, you know, you're probably only really good at one or two things. Everything else, you need to find people that are better than you. So the, so that you should be consistently thinking who, not how, and I need to build in the direction that I want to go. I should not be hiring based on an emergency in my company. But then it always comes down to, well, how are you going to pay for it? Well, first of all, you have to hire strategically. But the idea is that the hiring of a person is supposed to free you up to go make more sales, not bog you down to, so that you can't actually pay for the person. And, and what's really fascinating is that if you look at companies that really hire in with the idea of in the direction they want to grow as a company, they always find a way to pay the people. But you don't need to pay a person until you make a decision to actually hire the person to begin with, right? So when you make that decision, you change yourself over to a completely different type of desire and necessity in your life to, to happen. So you actually start manifesting more business by taking on more responsibility. This is a really important point, and And it isn't uh, just a, a, a sort of a, a nice thing to say because it sounds good. Um, this is really important. And, and I think we all, all of us listening have been in a situation where we wanted to get to some next level, whether it's our career, our uh, relationships are, are great, a great example. So if we're not in a relationship and we desire to be in one and we really work through what we want, kind of partner we want, the kind of partner we're going to be, all of a sudden, once that's kind of worked out, and it doesn't work this way for everybody, but for people who really put a lot of time in to going, okay, I want to get serious about, you know, finding a partner, um, it does eventually show up at usually the right exact time. Yes. Um, but but it does, it, it or, or some people just get lucky, I guess, and it happens, um, you know, when they least expect it. But for most of us, once we put our mind to something, you're right, all of a sudden, the blinders almost come off. And it's like our field of vision expands almost. And I know that's kind of a, a you know, a bit of a metaphor, but but it actually sort of does happen. You're right. Opportunities just start presenting themselves. I, I'll give you a perfect example. So I've always been, uh, I, I didn't think of myself, I, I realized I was very sensitive, and I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that I felt things maybe more deeply than than certain other people in my life. And I I felt disconnected sometimes. And I and I was, you know, I, I cry easily and, and a few other things. And so I started, um, I was thinking about it uh not a couple of years ago. I was in an airport and I go, I wonder if there's a condition or, or not a condition, but I wonder if there's something that there's like a category of people. Like I can't be the only person out there. But my whole life I had just been told, oh, you're just too sensitive or you're whatever. Or, and I would tell myself that. And then I, I, I go, there's got to be some other people out there like me. And so I Google it. Well, sure enough, there's a whole temperament. It affects 20% of the population. It's not a negative. It's just a temperament. And it's called highly sensitive. And it's actually a legitimate thing. And because I just said, maybe this isn't a DJ thing. Maybe there's, you know, other people that that could you know help give me some guidance about what to do with the sensitivity. It's not a bad thing. It's just something you have to learn how to cope right. with. Um, all of a sudden, I found this whole community, and I went, "Oh, I'm not one out of every five people's like me." And oh, and there's all sorts of help I can get to help me learn skills to cope with this thing that I thought is a massive disadvantage for me. Um, it turns out it's not a disadvantage at all. But but this idea of you know, 44 years of my life, I was like, oh, this is this awful burden I have to carry. It's like, actually, 
you know, now I can, because I opened up my mind to maybe there's a, there's, this is called something and it's like, oh, wow. And, and now I've gotten immersed in that community and it's like, oh yeah, this is, but you're right. It's like, it's about changing one's mindset and seeing what opportunities exist. It's a, it's a great gift being an empath. I mean, the, your sensitivity allows you to see things in people and read people in ways that other people can't even begin to understand. Yeah. And that is a fantastic gift to have. It sure is. And and back to delegating for a second, because did you ever think that we would live at a time where we now can access uh, work from all over the globe, from people who don't live down the street, who don't live in our local communities? And, and if and if you can hire people locally, that's awesome as well. And I but not everyone can right away. Maybe the, the finances just aren't there, but you know you need help. I mean, it was a lot tougher to do that, you know, 20 years ago, even. Yeah. And now, you know, with the, with, with us just being connected globally, we can find help from all corners of the, of the globe. And right. oftentimes for, for less money than maybe it, that we couldn't afford to hire somebody locally for it. That's moment. right. That's right. Yeah. And we teach people how to do that all the time because it is a major, it's a major obstacle in the mind of the person, but I want to challenge everybody that's listening to this. Like you, I'm not saying you have to believe me. Do investigate this yourself. Listen to our podcast and you'll you'll get, begin to understand it because it does take a bit of time to understand it. But let's let's be aware of something very important. If your parents were not entrepreneurial, you were ba basically raised middle class, working class. The rules and values for surviving financially when that's the class that you're raised by are completely different. Than if you're in business for yourself and i'm not saying it's bad i'm not doing a good bad comparison i'm just saying different and and it and and justifiably so if somebody else is completely in control of your income you're working for another person you have to make decisions based on that reality because you don't have the ability to increase yes. your income at will but when you're in your own business you do have that ability so the more you understand that ability and, and you have the ability to exercise it it comes down to this I only have to be concerned about hiring somebody, even if I don't have the money. I only have to be concerned about hiring somebody if I'm not willing to do the work to pay for them. If I'm willing to do the work to pay for this person, I can go ahead and hire anybody that I want and I can make the, I can make the determination to make the money to be able to do it. <laughs> and I become extremely focused in that direction. And we do that with companies every day, every day. And they're just astounded by the idea that they were just psychologically stuck, that they couldn't do it because they didn't necessarily have the cash in hand to do it. I'm like, you don't need to have the cash in hand. You need to make the decision to do it. And you need to make the decision that you're going to work in the in, what, in your sales to bring the money in to be able to do it. Changes. Yeah, it, 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 it really does. And it's, it's, it almost appears as if sometimes by magic and, and it isn't magic, but there's a magical element to it that when we put our minds to something and we really commit and, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to head to the gym here shortly and I, nobody hates the gym more than me, but all I did was I said, look, here's the reality. I cannot, I will not go by myself. I, I'm, I, at the time was 44 years old. I'm like, I know myself. I would love to go to the gym on my own. It's not going to happen. 
And uh, it, there's a little defeatist attitude there, but it was very honest. I was like, look, I've been living in this body for 44 years. I pretty much know what I'm motivated to do and not do, but is there a solution? Can I still get fit? Well, I had to go, I'm just going to have to do the expensive option and hire a trainer. And I thought I can't afford it. It's, it, and it is an incredible amount of money. And yet uh, here I am two years later. It's not that my income has dramatically shifted where I just now have so much money that I can hire trainers. No, I, I did it even when I really couldn't afford it. And sure enough, the money showed up. Um, it, it just kept showing up. It's not like, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it showed enough showed up where I could continue to do that. And here I am now two years later. And it, and I, all I did was change my attitude. I just went, I'm going to have to pay for this. I'm going to have to figure out a way to pay for this or else I'm not going to be healthy. And, and it was really that simple. And, um, you're absolutely right. Like I never thought I could afford to pay for that. And somehow I did. Yep. Yep. It's a, it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic with human beings. When we are split focused on something, all we do is see the confusion and the reasons that we can't. When we make a decision, we really focus in on what it is that we need and we have to understand something. We're programmed to manifest what we need. We will always get what we need, but people aren't consciously aware of that. When you become consciously aware of that, everything in your life changes because you're like, holy crap, I had no idea that this would actually work if I, if I did it. But you have to be willing to try it in, in order to be able to do it. You got to step into those decisions to do it. It, it. I mean, it completely changed my life. And I got the first semblance of that when I made the decision to change my attitude. And all of a sudden, everything in my life changed because of it. I'm like, wait a minute. What, what thing matrix did I just walk through? This isn't supposed to happen to a 17-year-old dropout. Like, it's not. I'm not supposed to triple my income in a month. But then right. it kept, and so that from there I went to from fifty thousand a year to fifty thousand a month, and then over a million, and then beyond that, and it was like it it just kept getting better. But I kept doing the same principles that I was learning along the way, and it's everybody else around me could not even begin to understand how this could even be possible. Except for the people that have gone before you, of course, who, yes, who know sure. it, and and they look at you and go, "Oh, he's one of us. He right. gets it." And right. and um, and the good news too about pretty much every local community, you know, whether you live in in rural Montana or Iowa, or you're in a major city uh, like you're you're outside of Charlotte. I'm here in in Chicago. Um, there are people that have done this, and. And I would encourage you to beg, plead with them to, to develop a friendship or a relationship, or at least take them out to coffee and say, tell me about how do you start your day? What do you, what do you say when you wake up to yours? You know, when you come across a problem or a challenge, what are you doing? And right. it's amazing. Success leaves clues, doesn't it? I mean, people Absolutely. will just, not even clues. People will just tell you, this is what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the higher you go, as far as successful people, the more information that they'll give you. Because we want to help people, right? I mean, I want to help people. That's when I learned how to do what I did, when I became aware of it, I'm like, I thought at the time, this is the greatest secret on the planet. Nobody knows this, right? I found something out I can't believe. And it, and it was very true that many people don't know. Most yeah. people are not raised in that with that kind of a mindset. Uh, and people will say to me, well, my, you know, come on, mindset really isn't that like, you know, Ooky gooky, or you know, and I'm like, no, it, it isn't. Mindset is the way you do anything, right? It is the way you think about things, the way that you learn about things, and your mindset is biased to the way that you were raised. 
Yes. So that's the only thing that you know. But there's things way beyond what you know that can have an amazing impact. Like you said, it's almost like magic uh, on your life. And people just don't know it. And it might not come in the time frame that you're expecting. In fact, it likely won't. It'll either it take longer or shorter. So that's also the ch another challenge is to is to commit to the activity or the discipline and trust that you know the answers will reveal themselves at, at the right time. It just might not be the time that's most convenient for you. Absolutely. Uh, tell us about the podcast. So we, we've been talking about it and I, I want our audience to have a resource where they can go and reset their mind, their expectations. And again, this is not from, you know, David's not a guy who knows the, the sort of, you know, cool sounding phrases and things to say. He actually consults businesses. He, you know, he's worked with multi-billion dollar businesses. This is somebody who is paid to get results. Yeah, so, right. um, so, yeah. so I love th that you have a podcast and you're not just a, a self-help guy, which, you know, some self-help guys are amazing. Um, but I like people that get results in the real world too. And so tell us about the successful mind podcast. So in, in 2017, I was, I just, I got the idea, like, I want to try a podcast. Um, at that point, there were about 500,000 podcasts. Today, there's 4 million alone in, in the United States, right? It's grown yeah. that much. Yeah. So I, I started it and I was doing it. And me and my partner, Steph Tuss, uh, went, we were having a meeting with Gary Vaynerchuk uh, in mm -hmm. New York in his office. And we were sitting around just kind of shooting the shit with him. And we were talking and he was like, how's the podcast going? And we're telling him. And he says to me, what what information are you putting out in the podcast, right? And we had been doing it for about a year at this point. And I was telling him, and he said, is that your best information? And I said, what do you mean best? He's like, is that the results-driven information that you would give a private client? I'm like, no. And he said, I want you to start giving. He said, I challenge you to start giving that information for free on the podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, it's no, my I'm secret sauce. I can't give that for free. Yeah. So then he says something to me that really kind of changed my, my vision on something. He said, let me, he said, David, let me ask you a question. He said, just honest, just between us, is there anything that you teach that if a person knew what it was, they couldn't find it on the internet? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a good point. He's like, it's the same thing with me. He said, so they're not paying for the information. They're paying for contact. Right. Yeah. So when you get when you consult somebody, they're paying for contact, they're paying for strategy, they're paying for that. But the information itself, they could get anywhere. They just don't know what it is. He right. said, so if you give enough of that information, you're going to grow your business. And or or they don't know who to trust. They don't know whose information is accurate. Right. And and you can build your brand through a podcast of, hey, I I, I am an authority figure here. Right. I do actually have real world experience and results. Um, he, let me let me tell you what I do, and then you're right. Even though it, maybe you didn't, you know, create all of your own learning, you've learned it through others and through other experience. Um, you still can be of incredible value to people, even yes. if you give away the secret sauce. Yes. And that's, so that's what I started doing. We're, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to see what happens. Our major concern was that we, it would piss off our private clients. That like they sure. would get angry because they're going, we're paying for this. We never had one of them even, even say that. It wasn't even a thought on their mind. But what did happen was that every time that we would do a live event or a seminar or a speaking engagement or something, one of the, one of the things that we would ask people on a forum would be, how did you hear about us? 
And almost overnight, we started getting tons of people going, the podcast, the podcast. That was our first introduction. Now, it's hard to measure that, as you know, right? I mean, because you don't get as much data. uh, Very little, unfortunately. Very little, exactly, right? It's not like like your regular marketing campaigns that give you tons of information. But you do get the information on the opposite side when you ask people, how did you first hear about us? And they tell you it's the podcast. You know that thing is working. And... You know, I mean, we went over 2 million views in a, in a relatively short period of time without any marketing agenda on our end, just putting it out there so it's spread by word of mouth. So it's a, it's a really great thing. And there's a ton of teaching on there. And there's also, we just started something new, me and Steph Tuss, she's my CEO of my company. And we're, we're currently, once a week, we're telling stories based on real challenges that companies that we work with have and how we're actually fixing those things for people. And so, so, that, so we're doing that and people are loving, they're loving it. So check it out. Yeah. So everyone, I want everyone to consider, no, I'm not, don't consider, just subscribe, listen to one episode, see if you like it, because, um, you know, all sometimes what you, what you, all you really need is a different voice telling you this, telling you in some cases things you already know, sure. but if it's coming from an outside source that you trust and that has authority, a lot of times that can sort of sink in a lot, a lot easier than trying to convince yourself of something that, you know, maybe you read in a book at some point, but never implemented. Um, so give, give David's voice and, and his, and his partner's voice a shot because they get results. So everyone subscribe to the Successful Mind uh, podcast. It is available everywhere podcasts are served. So a couple of ways you can find it, just go to whatever podcast app you're using and search for the Successful Mind. Um, you'll find David and you can subscribe there, or we'll have a link to it in our show notes. Also, you can visit David's website, davidnagel.com. That's N-E-A-G-L-E. Also a link to that is in our show notes. You can learn about all things David uh, and his company, at davidnagel.com. Well, David, I think this is a perfect place to wrap up and really, really appreciate your time on the show. You've inspired me to think even for myself outside of the box. This is my fifth year doing this podcast and I've you know, we've tried to make improvements and adjustments along the way, but am I putting out my very best content? I, I need to examine that and, yeah. and think about, you know, what I could be adding or subtracting from the show to, uh, to make it better. So the best way that you guys can help me do that is by letting me know what you think of the show. So best way is let us give us a review, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, we want to know what you think because this show is for you. And if we don't know what you need, it's hard for us to make improvements. So let us know, leave us a review, whatever podcast app you you, you use, let us know, uh, send us mess- emails to the show that also helps us. And also let David know what you think about the successful mind, go check out an episode and let him know so that he can uh, better meet your needs on his own podcast as well. So David, uh, thank you on behalf of our audience. Thank you. This was a coaching session that you really gave, you know, about 20,000 people uh, and we, they appreciate it. So how about doing David a solid and subscribing to his podcast? Maybe you'd get more of this every single time he publishes an episode. I know I'm going to subscribe. So um, David, thank you for challenging me uh, in my own comfort zone to do better on this podcast. And everyone can always get to the next level, but sometimes you just need a different voice telling you to do uh, certain things. So 
Uh, on behalf of the audience, we thank David for his his time. And on behalf of David and myself, we want to thank the audience for making it all the way to the end of this episode. One more thing we'll ask of you, tell a friend. Think of one other agent out there that's struggling to get to the next level and maybe just needs a little bit of encouragement. This episode should help them do that and also turn them onto David's podcast, the Successful Mind, for regular uh, you know, regular uh, episodes about exactly that. So send, let them know about our show and let them know about David's show and we would appreciate that. So David, thank you so much and we will see everybody on the next episode. Oh, oh, oh.